Hey everybody, welcome to what is the penultimate, I guess, penultimate episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I've pulled in some weirdos, some psychopaths, a guy that wants to kill me, another guy that wants to get me tripping on mushrooms and leave me in the desert somewhere, and a guy that wants to take me bad watching. I'll let you guys figure out who is who during this show. But the Megasode came to me because I've been wanting to do this for literally three years, and we finally got it together. So introductions, as always, we got the legend himself, Bob Selling, who is the licensing king, and a very dear friend and if you know want if you literally want to know anything about jv's licensing copyright and that kind of stuff in business hit him up the guy is a freaking archive of human information which we will get to in a moment and i have it all on on floppy, floppy disk yes. and, and, bird, and bird photos <laughs> and bird photos <laughs> next up we've got yeah, are we gonna are we gonna share screens for a few recent bird photos we can do. Like we can. Like, <laughs> fuck it. We'll just go with whatever. Sure. Today's a free for all. We got this. Uh, we've also got the man himself, Travis Houston, the genius that he is. Basically, superpowered on twenty-three different substances that are basically geared. Essentially, here's what you get when you mix sugar, spice, and everything nice. The twenty-three chemicals are the chemical X. He's the living Powerpuff Girl, ladies and gentlemen. He will kick your ass and basically make your conversions work. Dude. Mojo Jojo. Damn straight. He knows exactly what's up. <laughs> And of course, uh, swinging right and filling in for Matt, who basically ran away. Matt, you little punk ass. I was going to get you. Filling in, huh? <laughs> oh, so jo yeah, Joe's a second. Well, we Quite. got a new, a new nickname All for right. Joe. <laughs> time time, to, time to, I'm out of here. See you guys. What is number two work for? We saw it. I'm kidding. No, but the one and only Joe Fit, who, if you guys haven't listened to Hustle and Flow Chat, please go chart some flow chart not chat fuck adam always i was waiting how long to go before i made i actually think i like that i like that name better you got to change the name joe i just registered it. i just yeah. i just i just <laughs> registered it so it's uh it's gonna be on cedo.com soon typical internet marketer you <laughs> damn right just listening to god uh but joe of course is a legend marked in its own right he's been absolutely he's been around for absolutely ages seo affiliate marketing business online the dude's basically done it all and of course podcasting as well become a recent dad and he is really rocking the whole gray look right now just killing it straight you know being as oh, is. Man. and of course coming in with not last but not least but the reason i saved him right at the end is because he wants to secretly leave me in the desert somewhere possibly kill me but not really sure right now my brother from another mother the man who gave me the nickname the michelangelo of offer creation the catalyst himself brad loves bacon costanzo because he fucking loves bacon guys thank you so much for doing this we will put the links to all our websites as always and resources in the comments below and on the blog Right off the bat, I've got to kick the ball right back to Travis for making fun of Bob, <laughs> just because Bob literally has so much data. Can we just make this a roast? Let's just make it a roast for everyone. Fuck it. This is what we're doing today. You might pick up a thing or two, but you're going to laugh your ass off, I promise. You know, have you guys ever seen Emergency Awesome on YouTube? If you no. haven't, there's your first best tip. You're welcome. You're welcome for everything oh, in life. Emergency Awesome, best YouTube channel ever. He does the behind the scenes, the spoilers, and the reviews of all Marvel movies, Marvel shows, Game of Thrones. So what I want to do is I would like to start this episode off with our own little Emergency Awesome, which is where you pick out the Easter eggs in the background of Bob Serling's office. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the one. <laughs> 
right, so, Bob, you're up. so who wants to kick this off right now? There's not a photo of his wife. Let There's not a photo of his kids. There's not a photo of his, you know, his dogs, all the dogs he's owned mm. over many years, but there is a photo the of the dogs are on the dog. There is the, the only photo of the, the thing he loves most is a, an estranged bird. Come on. Man, this is this is this is a good little oh what? Like Bob Bob's just gone like, you know what? I'm just gonna prove this. He's gone rogue. I feel bad. I feel bad for anybody listening to the audio only version. And and can we and can we say that the thing I pointed out first was there is a metric shit ton of 3.5 inch floppy disks, and I would guess some eight and a half ultra floppy disks from Ooh. 1972 <laughs> ultras Uh-oh. even huh and now my camera doesn't work oh well it was worth it i've got that was a, that was that was that was amazing and so so just the 3.5 floppy disk that he has no access to because there's not a computer in the house because his commodore 64 which he said was still in the shop getting rewired as always hey, i wish i that. had a commodore 64 i'd sell it I was going to say, though, as far as we're going with this, Bob, like, um, I'm still going to bring this up and say this might be the oldest thing I have that is in my uh, in my apartment, which is the 1966 Batman credit cards from the one and only Joe Sugarman. Oh, amazing. Uh, that's yeah. nice. That's the only thing. I can't pick on anyone else's background. Yeah, Bob and I are the only one that have I think I think Bob's, I think Bob's, Bob, like... Imagine if Bob had to move. Oh my god! Oh, dude. How yeah, do you Bob decide what to get? Move. It, how do you decide what to get rid of with no. that going on? Dude, you match. You just find a moving company and pay them to move everything to the new house exactly as it looks in the old one. Oh, dude, that would be. Which is why so, we're, Bob, screen, okay. we're screenshotting this moment right now for you, Bob. Yeah. So you know, because the, the hanging broom on the wall, I, I don't quite <laughs> understand. Well, I see Bob. He has some liquor back there too. <laughs> You ever played broom ball? No, no. I, I want. I want to know how. Well, it's kind of like stick ball, but with a broom, so the ball doesn't go very far. And it's uh, something we played at one of my live events, God, fifteen years ago. So, if you ask the stupid question, you get broom balled. That's, That's basically right. how it was. You you just chose to become the ball at that point. Become the ball. You are the ball. Become one. Be the ball. Bob, I, I noticed you had some bottles behind you too that aren't normally visible because you're sitting and blocking them. But what's directly behind you? I saw two bottles. Are you drinking on the job back there all the time? I think uh, far right. Are you oh, not drinking right. on the job all the time? No, no, there, there's about fifteen bottles. Oh, I didn't see the ones up top. Oh, you're you're loaded down. I like it. Oh, oh man. Okay. Oh, I, oh, think, man, I oh, think we just found the secret to copywriting success. Oh yeah, it's, it's this it's this one message in a bottle. By the way, shout white out to dog. Uh, you guys had white dog. Never had that. No, never seen I've that. Never had that Ooh, I love buffalo. I white, love buffalo price. White dog <laughs> is true white lightning that's legally brewed. Uh, it, it's brewed by the company that makes Buffalo Trace. Okay, it, I gotta ask, what is white lightning as someone that doesn't know what that is? White lightning is bootleg whiskey. It's in, mo- oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the, the United States founded and was founded and financed by bootleg whiskey. And yeah. Alexander Hamilton and somebody else, some other founding father, almost went to war and killed each other over taxing white lightning. Anyway, 
it was made illegal. It was made illegal so all the all the whiskey companies could profit from their own stuff. But um, what is it? It's like 140 proof, and it it's barely <laughs> distilled, and it, it tastes like nothing else you've ever seen. So, yes, Joe, there are bottles. So my, so my question, <laughs> to, the thing is, does anyone else get this exact same thought? If you've ever watched the Family Guy episode where um, one of the later seasons where basically they go to war with Santa Claus and they find the, the, the greatest distiller in all the land, who's just a regular guy. But the moment he has moonshine, he turns into this giant hallucinogenic monster that just knows how to make moonshine. And that's all I think of when Bob was talking about. So it's like, I wonder who made that. What mountain man or woman in this case might have in a bathtub? In a bathtub. Stirring. So Travis, did you look at that link? I I have been studying it. A hundred and seventy-five dollars for did that. You, I, I just wanted to bring that up. Like, hey, I'm going to make copies of my floppy disk with that and and distribute it to everybody. So no one can no one can see what Bob is looking at right now, but I found a book from the nineties. Nineteen ninety. How to write the year yeah. the year but the year before. Uh, let's see what movie came out in nineteen eighty nine. No 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 Travis, we're not going there because here's the thing: exactly ninety three days before that, I was born. You were yeah. born. Oh, I was no. just gonna oh, say that's like, when Adam was playing with toys. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was just. I was okay. three months old at that wow. night. A night at the Roxbury came out in 1989. As did Adam. Uh. Fabulous. And then Bob was inspired to write how to write million dollar ads, sales letters, and web marketing pieces on White Lightning. Not only that, at night at the Roxbury, I once sat in a room at Chris Catan's house with him, Pee Wee Herman, and my son. No jokes for two hours. How? Okay, this is <laughs> no, you didn't. How, how we never heard this story. <laughs> Do you see a plane right now, Bob? Is I've your... known I've known Chris Catan. Oh, I love him since he was ten. Is your oh, name? Wow. Ta- is your name? Is your name tattoo? Because you are living on Fantasy Island right now. <laughs> no, my my wife had quite a career in the film industry. And she worked on a number of big movies and commercials and stuff. She actually did Thriller with Michael Jackson. But um, wow! in any case, um, one of the people she worked with a lot was a guy named Kip Katan, who's Chris Katan's father. So she was very good friends with Kip. And so, you know, we'd all hang out. And so I knew Chris since he was, was very young. And then, well, there then, might be a marketing lesson in there, Bob. How is it? So explain this to us. There's a business and marketing lesson for us from Bob Serling. You're welcome. No, there's a parenting lesson in it. Because uh-huh. there there's Will Ferrell, there's Will Ferrell, and then there's Chris Kattan. Yeah. So how did Will Ferrell do this and Chris that, Kattan? I have <sighs> always wondered that. And the weird his name, thing. his name came first in the credits. Just so you know, well, not Chris Kattan was before Will Ferrell in the credits scene. But and, and I have no idea what the background is, but those two were very good friends and made that movie together. But after that, they were really never seen again. Farrell included all kinds of people from Saturday Night Live in his movies, but he never had Chris in any of them. So I'm thinking, you know, he, he probably 
Chris probably gave him a, a number 18 needle instead of the 23. And that just ruined the whole relationship. That's whole like relationship. Interesting. Very much so. But yeah, okay. So my question, I'm gonna kick it to like Brad because I'm curious about this in particular. What do you think happened? Like if that's actually the situation, you've got two absolute, and we're going to turn into a marketing thing because why the fuck not? Because as Travis teed me up perfectly here. <laughs> what do I think happened on what? No, what do you think would happen? Like you've got two exact people that are absolutely amazing, look like they're going to have absolutely huge prospected careers in anything. Because we've seen it in business, we've seen it in fighting, we've seen it in marketing, acting everywhere. You see that they're about to go somewhere. One does and the other one just falls off to the wayside and never really kind of gets there. So from our experiences collectively and yours in particular, what do you see as the biggest difference between them? Like, They're astrological what? signs, obviously. Clearly. Everybody, <laughs> everybody knows that that's what determines success. Scientology, <laughs> bitch. One is an Aquarius. Who's retrograde, you know, things are going down. Definitely Mercury's <laughs> positioning. I think there actually is a marketing lesson in it. But finish up, Brad, and then I'll... What do I think? I think that's... I'll correct you. I actually think that's... Imp- wait. Old man Bob. Tremendous potential, but one... I mean, I think it's impossible to answer. Too many variables. It could be... External, internal, uh, it could be, uh, and you know, the truth is, a lot of success happens from luck, and um, it's just really impossible to say. So, I neglect to answer that question, that might incriminate myself. If you ever want to scale your business from, from four figures to 12 figures, you better have good luck. Yeah, and moonshine, and really good moonshine. Lots of moonshine. Moonshine is the way forward. Okay. So, so if to, to wrap up very quickly there, just on the Brad's points, it's ast- astrology, moonshine, and a crap load of luck. Maybe yeah. some Scientology. No, it's just it's just impossible. I mean, it's an impossible thing to answer because it's a, it's a culmination. Can we please hear from Bob Sterling now? But, but yes. actually, I think there is a, a real marketing lesson. The big difference between Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan and this is going to go against the grain of what so much of the marketing wisdom, which I really call bullshit that you hear <laughs> all the time, which is that Will Ferrell is a generalist and Chris Catan is a specialist. He plays one type of nerdy character only in different in different disguises, but it's essentially the same nerd over and over. Will Ferrell can play anything. He was great. There was a movie uh, that he was in with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, where he was serious. It was a drama. Mm-hmm. And he was fantastic. He can he can do drama. He He's flexible enough to play all kinds of different characters, a villain. I mean, look at Elf, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then some of the other stuff he's done. So I think the lesson there is that. Uh, I vastify, essentially. Is that, you know, a lot of times if you rely on just one skill, it can end up crushing you. So explain Keanu then. Ooh. Oh, Keanu? I can explain that one. Uh, he's versatile. He's uh, He's very yeah, versatile. He is. He is versatile. I mean, look at the he Bill he, and Ted's to the Matrix to yeah, Speed to John Matrix, Wick to, to uh, he did oh, some some romantic movie. I think the Lake was, House. 
Charlie. Yeah, right. So yeah, he terrible movie. Yeah, it was terrible a horrible movie. movie but uh, but what's you know what guys? I I looked it up. Katan. It's a lot simpler than all this. You guys are complicating it. God. It's about a girl. It's sex. It was. It was. It was. It was actually. So you're, uh, what you're saying is that Jimmy Buffett was right. Yeah, I mean, like it's a lot simpler than. I, <laughs> but yeah, man. I mean, oh, what? how is it about like, Lorne Michaels? Yeah, it, oh, it looks shit. like they were they were going after the same would be director on. Uh, I think it was on that film. No, the Roxbury. Yeah. Got as I, as I said, like. it comes down to too many variables. It's impossible to answer. So basically, I won that question. Although I love Bob's answer because I consider myself a generalist, but I still won. Point me. Point me. Fair enough. Point Brad. But what I will say is that when you look at it from that perspective, like how you can really increase your different areas and different skills, what you can look at, there is... Um, because there's this thing that goes online where you have to be a specialist in just one thing, which again is the Chris Kattan story more than anything. I'm a specialist in one thing. I, I've always like thought, and I think we've always discussed this, there's a third level above that. So it goes generalist, specialist, and there's like a generalized specialist where you're like just good at shit because you figured out the structure of things. Um, like, Joe, like everyone on this call pretty much is amazing at it because I've seen you guys work in different markets in different areas and you see how you retool and adapt. The curiosity I have here is how do you actually start growing out from that? Because if you just say you, again, we're not going to use Chris Kattan for this, but let's just say some, someone in business uh, somewhere else. Chris is fucking perfect for this. He's going to get, he's taking the beating for this first half of the show. You got someone like Chris, he's got all these areas and you're like, okay, you want to diversify? How'd you spread out? Because personally, Matthew McConaughey, in my opinion, and we'll touch on that later, did a great job with it. But like, what, what could have Chris done to really spread himself out because you do have people in business right now that are just pigeonholed in one thing and they don't have to get out of that. Well, it sounds like spreading someone out was the issue. <laughs> <laughs> that it was. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take this for a second. So one, there is this concept of being a T shy, uh, a T type person, which is somebody who's an expert in at least one thing, but they also have a very broad capability and other stuff. So they're well diversified, but they have one or two things that they, they go deep on. That's not their only thing. Uh, like some people are like, I am just an astrophysicist and I can't, I have no social skills. I couldn't, you know, change a tire. I can't do anything else. But then there's other people like, so for instance, in marketing and business myself, um, I'm, I consider myself a massive generalist um, because I understand everything from, you know, all the various aspects of business, but my my specialties are even much more so in like creative persuasive persuasion copy like how to get this in, in sales i know enough about traffic i know about enough about operations and finance and all that other stuff to just be dangerous but so that's my like business is my the top of the t but then i would say not even marketing but like conversion and offer and persuasion is the uh the, I don't know, the stem of the T. Um, that's part one. But part two is I actually think that using entertainers and actors is a really bad uh, analogy for this because their success is not predicated on their ability to act or entertain. It is 100% predicated on the casting and the directors. It's, it's somebody else's subjective taste to go, you fit for this role, you don't fit for this. And what happens on the casting couch? Like literally, that's mm -hmm. a thing. So I don't know. Maybe Will was more 
pliable on the casting couch. I'm joking, but that stuff's real. So I actually think that using entertainers though is a, uh, it, it's kind of a poor analogy that doesn't relate to business people. Yeah. Well, I guess we can change up the analogy then. So you can just have someone that is essentially, well, we've got this perfect example really more than anything with copywriters more than anything else. Like they write for one specific marketplace or one specific type of client and they can't diversify out of it. Like there's enough people that we've actually been, uh, that we've seen that just work in the financial space, but they can't go outside of anywhere else. You put them in financial and then you put them in dating. It's night and day on how good they can be. It's, they become so like used to being a certain way. So essentially, I guess we can change the analogy to that, or even someone that's just absolutely brilliant at Facebook ad traffic and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Like how would they actually split that up and like I'm, train I'm themselves? I'm reading a book right now on the history of 80s glam rock in Los Angeles. What's wow. the book and, name? And it all comes, it's called Nothing But A Good Time. Good, good name. And, and there was one, there was just one thing. They say, when you look at, you know, Guns N' Roses, Poison, Quiet Riot, Twisted Sister, any of those bands that really came up during that time, uh, they said that it wasn't about talent. It wasn't about skill. It wasn't about resources. It was really drive, determination, and vision. And Literally, it's the, you know, the Jim Collins flywheel concept where they just kept on pushing on one thing over and over and over until it just got relentless momentum. And there was a few bands. I mean, there was thousands of bands trying to make it at that time, but there's only a few that you remember in like the anthemic arena rock that became popular in those mid 80s. And it was just the guys that had that drive, determination and never quit pushing on the flywheel concept until it just took off there's got to be yeah, yeah i love what you're saying there travis because i think that's a huge piece of it it's just you're in the game with the flywheel you're just pushing there's something that's driving you though so like definitely poison and those guys had you know the bands all had something else that was taking them further there's some mission or north star who the hell knows what it was maybe it's just the more coke no, free coke no, or they, they, they literally brought up people like you know brett michaels and axel rose yeah. and the guys behind cry Wyatt that kind of started it all was just those guys had more grit more determination more drive more focus and willing to tough it out during the hard times of which there was a lot yeah. And, and but, but seeing that through to the other side and i think quite honestly as i'm reading this book there's the bigger lesson to anything that you want to do I think it really touches in to what we all do too. So, I mean, I'm, I'm always curious. I wish I could identify this and you can't, but why do some people take a training program you offer or buy a course that you publish and they're highly successful and others just can't, you know, it, a lot of it, some of it is skills, but if you're teaching those skills, a lot of it is mindset and dedication and perseverance. Yeah. And Actually, that, that, that's like a great place just to touch them on. Like, there's two questions that got inspired to me. One, I'm going to ask way later down the line because it's entirely self-serving and why the hell wouldn't I? There's four smarter people in the room than me. I might as well take advantage. Um, three and a half, Brad, sorry. Can, oh, can resist it. <laughs> and this is why he wants to murder me. I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, essentially, how do you find the time to do something like that, though? Because we do know there are people that life was going one direction entirely. They were lazy, just shit wasn't going on. And then 
you know, you hit the switch and we've all seen that we've all been through that process. And again, there's someone out there that's possibly listening um, or someone that needs to hear that. I would, I don't I, think they're listening anymore after that. Nah, they're just like, they're <laughs> just like they've all fucked up. This is just us. Let's just have fun. Yeah. Let's get back to talking about moonshine. And <laughs> yeah. Moonshine and floppy disks. That was interesting. So yeah. funny. We will, we will make our way back there. I mean, I just did do a bong rip like within 20 minutes of being on the show with you guys. <laughs> so I just wrote a message like 620 over here because essentially I was like, it's in, it's in the morning for you guys. It's evening for me. That's right. So it doesn't look like too much of a problem. Like anyway, what was the question? Yeah, sorry, we go off topic. Thank you, Brad. Uh, the question I actually had for you guys was how would someone, well, because there are so many variable factors, but essentially how does someone make that decision to change? Like they've had that thought of making the change just every time life gets in the way. I think, uh, I know when that showed up for me, it's just, I'm tired of the shit that I'm feeling or I'm, I'm in right now, you know? And I think that's like, it's pro for me, it's always been like this accumulation of like, oh, wait, hold on. There's just like a lot of friction building up or my mind's just starting to think way too much. Wheels are spinning, but they're almost like not going anywhere. There's no flywheel action happening. So I think those are the points where I'm just like, all right, burn, burn half the stuff I'm doing, you know, 80, 20 freaking hack a lot of the actions and just freaking push through the ones that stand out from there and make me feel good. I think it's like one of those just ruthless hack what's not working what makes me feel good or so just like write it down and just get rid of the shit that isn't really bringing you joy just like fuck this i'm done and just like start putting down time towards what you do i think that's the awareness of it once you're aware of it once i'm aware of something like that that doesn't feel right that's when i got to do something about it but it might take a little bit to get it but once yeah write it down or whatever it is um i feel like that's that kind of triggers the thing for me to be like all right screw that that was wrong not doing that again i want to figure out a new way forward we call it the glimmer. Glimmer. The glimmer. So there's a moment when you realize you don't need to have the perfect plan. You don't need to have it all figured out because something happened. And you've heard this phrase before, a glimmer of hope. And so we call it the glimmer. There's a moment when you're like, holy shit, I just made a thousand dollars. For me, it was... I was participating uh, in my very first ever internet marketing launch, had no list, no one knew who I was. I had literally zero. I knew Andy Jenkins. I had just gone through Video Boss and I was gonna participate in the Mike Koenig's launch for Main Street Marketing Machines. Long story short, I came up nine on that launch. His company, his team is calling me. They're like, who are you? What's happening? How did you do this? You're like, no one's ever heard of you. And it was the glimmer of hope moment for me. I'd made like $83,000 in 10 days. And I was like, holy shit, you can actually do this online stuff in a big way. And I had that moment and I've just like, you never turn back after that. And I'm not saying the glimmer needs to be this like little thing, but it could, it could be that thing that sparks you to be like, this is possible. Like imagine, like we've got Bob Sterling on the call. I always feel so lucky to be in a group with him. Like imagine Bob teaches you one thing around licensing like and even a small thing but you actually do the unheard of and implement it and it gets this result i mean it could be a big result one like one licensing 
recommendation from Bob could literally be life-changing to a business. And you get that glimmer and then you can just run with it knowing that you don't need to know what the other side of your why looks like because it will unveil itself every step along the journey because it's not about getting to the end destination. It's always about the journey, but it's more about who you get to become on your fuck-ups along your journey. And I've always thought, and I read this a long time ago, but it said the biggest issue with business is not failing or failing forward. It's having success and not knowing why. Makes sense. That makes way. You, you know, yeah. something that ties into that is Richard Koch, you know, the author of the 80-20 principle. He basically says, and I'm, I mean, the guy... I, I don't know what his, what his net worth is, but it's over a quarter of a billion. And he claims he works an hour a day and I believe him. But his basic premise is you don't need to know how you're going to get to where you want to get to. All you have to know is what is what you want to do, where you want to get to, and just start doing the next step. And then there's the other guy who wrote the book called uh, The One Big Thing. It's the same thing. Gary what Keller. That one thing. But I, I think the problem is, like the difference with Travis is that when he had this, what he calls a glimmer or this kind of insight that he could do something, he actually went out and did the first step and then the next step and the next step. And I think most people get lost thinking they have to know it all. How are you yeah. going to do it all? Like right now, I'm trying to solve a problem on a product I'm developing for a large, a, a billion dollar company that I want to license to. And I don't have it figured out. And I don't know if it ever will be figured out, but I do know that I don't have to have it figured out to start with. I just have to know that I want to figure it out. And then I'm, and I start taking the smallest steps and eventually I'll get far enough along to say this is feasible or it isn't because it's kind of a complex problem. It may work, it may not, but um, you don't need to know the whole process and the end result. I mean, it helps to, to have some, you know, kind of have some mileposts that you want to reach. But I think a lot of people just don't take that first step because they think they have to be fully expert at whatever they're going to do before they can do it. And then you'll never do anything that way. Well, if I compared uh, myself to Bob, though, if I compared myself to Bob, like Bob's, you know, genius at so many things, copywriting, JVs, uh, licensing. If I compared myself to Bob, to his chapter 193, to my chapter two in that, I wouldn't get started. So how many mm. Starbucks gift cards do I have to give you for all of this, Travis? Oh, uh, Bob, I think you're genius. I'm, I'm so happy to be in a mastermind oh, with you. you don't even know. Thank one you. of the things I'll jump in on that yeah. uh, to build on those two things, one to build on what Travis said, there's this, you know, the glimmer, but then there's the, uh, what I've heard to, referred to as the moments of doom of when you start something out. Cause it's really exciting when you start mm. something, but then you get to this point where like, that's a little hard or confusing or you tried and it failed and it just got too technical, et cetera. And it's like, ah, screw this. I'm giving up. So um, if, 
you know, as a course creator, you want to try to get your clients over those, those moments of doom real quickly and get them into momentum, which is one of the reasons I think that these um, really popular, like number of X, like five day challenges are so good because it's like, let's just get you a few good wins, get you into momentum, get you over those initial moments of doom to where you can get that first glimmer of hope. I think that's one um, addressing that. And then one of the things I think you were saying, Bob, um, about it's the what, not the how. There was a book I read years ago and I absolutely loved it because uh, I was a subscriber to his uh, newsletter by Mike Dooley, who wrote a book called Leveraging the Universe. So it's a little woo-woo without being overly woo-woo. But one of the things I love that he uh, talks about is he goes, listen, you got to think of this as, um, I, I think he used a baseball analogy or he actually kind of had like two sides of a, of a pyramid. He goes, on one side, you have to, you have to know what you want to do, right? You have to know what you have to be really super duper specific. That's kind of like law of attraction, like have the visual in mind of where you, what you want to do, where you want to go, let the universe take care of how, but it won't take care of how, unless you're showing up and doing the things that you like, I'm going to step up to bat. The universe is always pitching balls. I'm going to step up to bat because otherwise I can't hit anything. So if it's like, I want to be an online um, marketer, for instance, I want to have an online business. Well, I better put offers out. I better like, even if they don't work, it's okay. I just got to try things until they fail. And then pretty soon, just by showing up, the universe is going to give you the right pitch. Um, and he's like, it kind of happens by magic, but it's that it goes back to that saying, oh, I don't know who, who it was, but it's old, which is, you know, most 98% of success is just showing up, yeah. you know, something like that. And that's kind of it. Like know what you want to do. Woody Allen. The most basic stuff. It doesn't have to be perfect. Who's that? Woody Allen. Woody Allen said that. Right. So anyway, that's, that's some of my thoughts on that. But I think it also has to do, like the timing of it has to do with different at different places in your life, there are um, places where you you either get stuck or it's supportive. So people may have a really bad environment for um, for achieving anything successful. And the environment can be really external, uh, such as, you know, maybe you are, uh, you know, maybe you're trying to do this and you've got a husband that doesn't support you or a wife who's nagging at you about this stuff. You've got six kids running around and you, hey, I, I want to do this, but I got just all this crap that's not conducive to being productive. But maybe that's, there's also an environment that is like you are in a massive cash crunch and you're operating out of desperation, right? So that's not a good place to do solid work because you're always in a frantic pace. So one of the first things is just to make sure, because the I think of this as a pyramid, right? Like make sure that that foundation of your environment is solid and it is conducive to doing work. And then when you go up, the next step is, well, once that is like, what are the actions you're taking? What are the behaviors? Are you actually showing up and doing something or are you just sitting there wishing that, you know, law of attraction magic? Because once you start taking those actions, you start developing the third set, which is like the skill set. Okay, what are your capabilities? And if you've got the right foundation, you're taking the right action, your capabilities grow. As those grow, you start to be, get more confidence and belief in yourself that, okay, this is actually possible. That's kind of like where I see that, that glimmer that Travis was talking about. Mm -hmm. And you're like, all right, now I'm starting to believe in myself. And then, then you start to probably have success and it makes, it kind of works the opposite way too. It makes the things you're doing work. Then one of the last stages is you start to identify as a person who can do this as a 
I identify as an entrepreneur now. I identify as an online business owner or a coach or a, you know, whatever that is. But um, I learned about this concept. This is an abbreviated version um, from studying neurolinguistic programming, and they call it the neurological levels. And it was one of the most impactful things for me because whenever I'm stuck on something, I like to go into those levels and go, okay, well, what's not conducive to my success here? Do I have a bad environment? No. Am I, am I showing up doing the things that need to be done? And I can go, ah, I'm actually not. So no, no wonder I'm not getting the results. I may have all the belief in myself and the world and all the skills, but if I'm not taking the actions, then I'm not going to get what I want. So um, I didn't invent that. It's called the neurological levels, but it's, it's fun, worth looking into. It's something that um, really fast is like micro experiments. We do that a lot in our company. So anytime to kickstart momentum is, is almost like create containers around everything you guys are saying is like have an end date, but also like have a little sprint time. I feel like that's how we've always been able to get the most amount of momentum in that flywheel is, you know, let's sprint for a few days to crank out this plan that we've already thought about. But you know, we're going to maybe focus on that for a quarter or maybe a, a couple months or something, or even a month. And I feel like just that little micro experiment concept can almost create like seasons of your business. You know, maybe it's content and a lot like podcasting. That's why podcast season, you can like crank that out in a short period of time, batch work on some stuff. I feel like that's always done the trick for us. And it gets us out of our shit too. It's just like, cool. Got the game plan. Got to do the game plan. Uh, we're not going to do this forever, but let's see if it works at the end of this. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And I, I think the same thing goes. And I don't know, maybe you have to be a little more established to do it, but I never create a program. I never uh, create a mastermind, uh, a course or anything before I test it. And it's like I do a sprint. I write the emails. I do a write-up about it. And then I test the market to my list. Maybe I'll go out to a partner's list too to see if there's, because sometimes your own list is more biased to you, but I never do anything. I always do, like you said, Joe, these little sprints. I, mm -hmm. I'll do a little two-week promotion of something and see how it works. And then I compare well, it to the thing, last three things I've done and what type of response they got. And a lot of times I, I actually, what I do is just, and, and this goes back to the old days of direct mail, um, which caused Gary Halbert to go to prison, um, mm. which is that we'd always dry test. You, you actually sell it. And then in the old days of direct mail, you had 30 days to deliver or you had to return the money. But rather than just asking people if they're interested, I sell it because People, especially people on your own list, because they like you, will tell you all kinds of good. Oh, yeah, I'll buy it. That's great. It's this and that. And then you put in all the work and you put it together and it flops. Sometimes it takes off, but often it flops. So I, I'm with you on that, Joe, completely. I want to do that front end sprint and I want to do it in real life in a real market with paying customers to find out first. And I think even, and this goes back to what Adel was asking, even as a complete beginner, you can do that. You can just post it to your Facebook uh, page and say, hey, I'm gonna create a, a, you know, a course on how to drive traffic 
to sell more hamsters. How many of you hamster lovers would like this? Uh, let me know and I'll send you an advanced copy for 17 bucks or something like that. So you're qualifying it. You know, who's it for? For hamster lovers, how much does it cost? I'm not just asking you hamster lovers if you think you'd buy it, here's a chance to put money down. And so new people can test that way too, real easily. And so, and I have to come back to what Joe said I've known Joe and Matt. It's going on what four or five years now, Joe. Well, uh, that closely, but you and I had a I did yeah. a project with you. We right. like probably four years before that. Yeah, yeah. I, but um, actually, knowing you and seeing how you guys work, and you're masters of that. You're masters of testing something before you go all in with it. And I mm -hmm. think that it's a great way to contain the risk on anything. And it's also a great way for people to get started who are afraid to start, which is kind of the jumping off point for this discussion. You just test it. You have almost, no, all you have is a little bit of sweat equity, a little bit of time involved to test it. I'm rereading a book that was written in, I think, the year 2000 uh, are by those Robert. Glimmers behind you? They are glimmers. There's lots of them. Oh, That's my inspiration to the world. Oh, very deaf. Okay, so Robert Allen wrote a book called Multiple Streams of Internet Income. It's very cheesy, but there is, I mean, he sums it up. He says, if you want to be successful, like build a list of people, ask them what they want, and then deliver on it. But on that same note, don't be in too much of a hurry to promote your stuff until it gets really good. Otherwise, you just speed up the rate at which the world finds out you're no good. Mm -hmm. And so what Bob and Brad and Joe are all saying is so right on, you need to test that. But you also need to be able to deliver the goods. Let's just be honest, because there's a yeah. lot of people in the market right now selling a ton of shit because they took a weekend course and now they're a certified fucking expert in nothing. And they're yep. selling a course on that. And I love where, you know, Jesse Elder says- Can you uh, actually get an, a certification in fucking, certified fucking expert? Oh my it's God, interesting what Brad brilliant. hears. It's really interesting what Brad hears among everyone else. And I'm, 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 I'm pretty, pretty sure. I just thought of a new business I'm pretty idea. sure that's a, that's, that's a thing. It's a great question. Dude, I did <laughs> used to work in the dating advice and seduction niche. I was the Fair, founder of the seduction syndicate. So certified fucking expert. I'm like, it, it works. It works. It, it, it genius. You just those, found your new thing, Brad. You just found, I know you've been looking. You found your new thing. There's experts, Brad. Just go to the gas lamp about 1 a.m. and walk around fifth and <laughs> the funny thing is like i'm the one that's the, i'm the one that's high here i see that <laughs> Slightly brad, brad is brad is literally just kicking my ass with the punchlines right now like crazy and just getting everything so yeah what, like why are you so slow Adil? what's up going on like i have no idea just i think it's mental age no, that's really. because that's, i take i take Xamner juice <laughs> we're gonna do a segment for my son Okay, so I'm just working on a new lesson for him. And we're gonna do a quick little poll. The three wealthiest, happiest, so they, it's gotta be that combo, the three wealthiest, happiest people you know, we're not gonna say them out loud, okay? So think of the three wealthiest- well, We've happiest, all got one in mind. You know. 
Okay. Yeah, we do. I know we all do. Okay. <laughs> what did that person make their wealth? And this is very important through being a business owner, a business investor, the primary wealth business owner, business investor, uh, employee, or inheritance. Inheritance all the way. No, I'm just kidding. It, it, it could be the three wealthiest, but the three wealthiest people, you know, and that, that honestly, if you live on the East coast, Joe, that's probably actually very that's real. Accurate. However, however, it has been shown in studies that the people who inherited their wealth does not make them happy. A lot of the times they're miserable SOBs because they never actually had to accomplish anything. Yeah. Because we're making some decisions about, Hey, what's my life journey going to yeah. be like, what's next for me? And I said, well, a really easy way of doing that is like, if you want to be, you know, happy and wealthy, who are the three people that, you know, personally, did they make their money as an employee, a business owner, a business investor, or did they inherit it? And he said, okay, I can think of the first one. That was a business owner who sold his business. He goes, let me think of the second one. Um, oh, that was a business owner who sold his business. And the third one was wait for it a business owner who hasn't yet sold his business, but is doing quite well. Damn, I thought you were going to go with tow truck driver. Damn. I wanted it. <laughs> and so like, I would say that if, if there's something that you're wanting in life, like someone's already figured it out. There's already a path to it. We're not creating anything really new. Like don't waste your twenties. Find a mentor who can guide you in like the path that you're looking towards. Don't waste your thirties. Don't waste your forties or fifties. Like find someone who's already getting the success in an area that you want. And there's a map, but don't start where they are. Start where they were. Right. We all try and look at someone really successful and we're like, Oh, they're doing this right now. Uh, they're putting out 97 videos a day across social media and have 19 offers. I should do that too. Yeah, mm. makes sense. Um, I'm going to quickly pause for just a quick moment. One, thanks, guys. So essentially, as Bob basically brought up uh, while we were off at, how let's go deeper into how to become a fucking expert, essentially. <laughs> in any way that you want to take that brass by the way you do realize i'm do searching godaddy for certified fucking expert.com i know of course you are <laughs> we can see your face is like lighting i was like and this. and the other three the of fucking us expert.com grabbed all the extensions for that had i been as high as has i been as high as adel was i would have already bought it <laughs> oh the amount of ideas we've had over the years as brad likes to call them but um, yeah, so Bob, just please lead us off on this one. Like, so how do you actually become more of a fucking expert in what you do? <laughs> well, I, I so uh, with all deference to Brad, since we are going to rely on him to fully research this and get back to us, let's shift gears to your other question. <laughs> oh, which, wait, which one are we going with? Like, uh, how do we all get started? Like that one particularly? Yeah, I, I, yeah, because I want to know like what what got us there. Because yeah, to me, what I'm interested in when I meet somebody, and I know I always I I, I asked Matt and Joe this very early on, and uh, I think I've asked everyone else versions of it. But what is it? What event or person or insight in your life caused you? to pick the path you're on and cause you to pick the career you picked for yourself. And just kind of a little back uh, information to that is almost everybody I know 
is doing something different than what they train to do, either in trade school or college or whatever. Yeah. And the business they're running is totally different. It's like the guy who owns a, a, a wine company and has his own vineyard and you come to find out that he was a pediatrician and discovered he can't stand the sight of blood or whatever. You know, people just, or, or they find something, some event happens that moves them. So that's what I find to be a really interesting topic. So with that being said, Bob, I'm going to ask you that question. So how did you find your start and how you got to where you are today? Um, so first of all, I've always been entrepreneurial. And I think most successful entrepreneurs have been. Even as a kid, my family was poor. So we would mow lawns, we'd shovel snow, we'd do all kinds of things. And when I was about 10, I discovered that I could buy fireworks illegally in the state next to mine where they were legal and sell them to my friends with a markup. Then I'd have all these great fireworks and some pocket money. So that was kind of acting as a connector. And fast forward to, gosh, this is in the 1980s, I think. Uh, I was actually working as a systems analyst, which I was ill-prepared to do for a major bank. And at that time, all of major banks used IBM computer systems. IBM owned everything. And I noticed that IBM had this amazing model where you never owned anything. You licensed the computer from them, you licensed the software, but more importantly, you licensed the training. So if they had, if the company had 60 people that they wanted to train, say, in building databases. You would go to IBM and say, oh, we want to train them. You'd pay $3,000 per person, and they would send you a video cassette. And the eight and those 60 people get in a room, and they all watch the video cassette. That, that goes on for three, four days, then the cassette gets sent back. And I thought, this is freaking brilliant. They just have this little clunky video cassette that they license the rights to the training to people by the seat. That's called a seat license. If 50 people are in it and it's 3,000 bucks, it's 150 is what 150K is what you pay. If 60 people are in, you pay 180K. You don't get any discount. You pay by the seat. So that later when I was writing copy and I was fairly decent at it, I realized that I couldn't stand doing it. It's just too much of a grind. Some people like it, but I mean, writing copy every day for me just began to feel like a weight. So I just remember that IBM example and I decided I'm going to take the best pieces I ever wrote and I'm going to customize them for clients in different industries and license it to them. They'll save money. They'll get it for 10% of what they pay for new copy. And then I get 
a commission on top of everything we sell. And they know it's something that's successful. They don't have to pay for something that has an equal chance of bombing as being successful. So that for me, it was seeing that IBM model and it stuck with me and everything I've done in licensing since then grew out of that. That's incredible. Like that, there's so many lessons to unpack there, especially with your, like if you've got your own core stuff as well. Selling by the seat is like thinking about it when you were saying, it, I was like, how like today, someone pays you three grand, they expect to have the course forever. And if you shut it down, it's like chaos and stuff. But imagine it's like three grand a seat to go sit down. That's yeah, yeah license, so, especially the so, stuff you gave me the copy as well. Was so brilliant. if you want to convert that to a licensing repetitive recurring income, that's essentially a membership program. Membership. Uh, program. Bob, where would where would someone go to learn how to do that? Uh, I don't know. There's all kinds of resources available, but. If you're asking, do I have a course available right now? I don't. I will make a big announcement right here, which is I quit. Not completely. So I have taken on a partner who's going to handle all my product sales. And some of you may know them because he is a black shirt. Um, oh, interesting. And so he's going to handle all the sales of all the training programs, all the workshops, and all the masterminds. And that frees me up to spend more time on my two true loves, which is nature photography and inventing all kinds of useless stuff that explodes and catches on fire and creates problems for the companies that manufacture it. Bob, so, congratulations. I want to be the first to say it because that's freaking awesome. Yeah, Bob. And uh, yeah, I'm curious yeah. who the Bob is, the black shirt. It's got to be Henry. It's got to be Henry. Yeah, I'm not going to comment on that uh, <laughs> because I don't want that out yet. But it, it, it's probably, if I had to guess, I'd say it's Henry Evans. Yeah. <laughs> I would actually like to find out like how Travis, you got into it. And then of course, like Brad and Joe, please jump in as well with your stories. Cause again, I, I really am curious, like how you guys got to where you're at right now. I'll keep it super short. It's a lot like Bob, uh, 1981. I'm, I don't know, eight years old, something like that. And where did you ever been to a drive-in movie before in the eighties? You ever been to a drive-in movie at all? A okay, pretty terrible experience overall with audio and everything like that. But on the screen in front of me was absolute crap. But the screen over here that I couldn't hear, but I could see was Enter the Ninja One, which of course I had to go see Revenge of the Ninja in 1983. And then let's just, it happened. Revenge of the, uh, uh, Revenge of the Ninja Three or Ninja Three, The Domination. That was not their best one. But I decided I, I, I had to own all that gear. And so mom took me to Costco. We bought a shit ton of candy. I had an hour and a half long bus ride to school and an hour and 10 minutes back because of how the route and how we lived in the country. Well, I cut a deal with the bus driver and I sold candy to and from school as long as every night I cleaned the bus. Nice. Damn. And, and so I made, I made enough money to send cash through the mail to buy throwing stars, size, blow guns, <laughs> uh, all sorts of swords, I mean, I had a belt buckle that had ninja stars that I wore to third grade. 
<laughs> wow. That is very cool. Coolest kid on the playground, easily. Uh, so I had to have I had to have all of the gear of the crap you could buy out of back black belt magazine. And because I was the you know kind of a latchkey kid, I was the first one off the bus. So I got to the mailbox first. So parents never knew I literally had an arsenal. Anyways, I had it. I had it. Like what is it? I had a dream. I had something I wanted, and I had to figure out how to get it. Like is that just the entrepreneurial journey? Period. Right. There was something I wanted. I had a dream. I saw a movie that I couldn't hear and I had to have the stuff in the movie and I figured out a way to buy it. And then that like, quite honestly, has been the same theme of every single other thing. And the way I got into marketing space was I was in the real estate space, but I wasn't very good at real estate, but damn, could I build websites? And so I was using Microsoft front page to build real estate based websites uh, so I could capture leads and then have those be my clients. Dean Jackson gave me, I was in a coaching group with Dean Jackson in probably 2003, and he gave me the idea of buying the name of the city plus a large condominium complex. So in La Jolla, there's one called Sea House La Jolla. So I bought that domain and I did that maybe 50, 60 times until 2005 when WordPress came out and I hired a developer to just build these domains over and over. So in San Diego, I had like 60 domains with the name of the city plus the complex. And that's how I got real estate leads in because I come from a real estate family. I don't really like real estate. I didn't like being a real estate agent or investor. Wasn't my thing. Uh, So my last client, 2009 is happening. Real estate is on fire. I mean, literally my business on fire were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. 2009 was a shit show. I lost everything literally $100,000 plus in debt, had to move out of San Diego, had to move back home. I hate where I'm from. Had to move back home into a one bedroom of my mom's house with a 12-year-old stepdaughter and a one-year-old child. Tail between my legs, complete manhood, out the door, gone. And I had to start over. Where's that at, Travis? Where did you live? Hillsboro, Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, not a fan. Uh, and that's why I left. That's why I'm in San Diego, around my people, uh, right here, around my people. And we, my wife and I had to decide, because she was a mortgage broker and I had a real estate investment company, and we had to decide what we wanted to do. And my last client in real estate happened to be, are you ready for this? Remember all those websites I told you about? Mm-hmm. Well, a lead came in, and the night before, I'm reading an article you guys remember StomperNet, StomperNet, you know, StomperNet yep. SEO. So I was a member of StomperNet and one of the founders of StomperNet was leaving StomperNet and he wrote this big, ridiculously long email about why he was leaving StomperNet. Well, he talks about him and his wife moving to San Diego and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's where I'm from. I hope I get to meet them. Well, the next day I get an email from Janine Jenkins saying, hey, we're looking for property in San Diego. That happens to be Andy Jenkins' wife at the time. And so I meet Andy Jenkins in two days from the time I read the, wrote that email and Andy changed my life. Wow. I took a course. I took a course that I couldn't afford at the time. Like I had no money. I just moved it. Andy was my last client in real estate before I left San Diego to go back to Oregon. And when I got back to Oregon, Andy had just launched video boss and I didn't have the money to pay for it. And I knew that Andy would have given me the course because we were buds after helping him look for real estate. Actually, I got him into the house. If you remember Video Boss, he filmed it in this big white house on the cliffs 
of mm-hmm. Bird Rock in La Jolla. So I'm the one that got him into that house. The one where he Damn, filmed uh, Video Boss with Michael what? Sam and all of that. Yeah. So I got him into that house and I just happened to meet him because the first thing he said to me was, you've got good SEO. I'm like, well, motherfucker, I have good SEO because you taught me in Stompernet. <laughs> and he thought that was cool. So I took Video Boss and I applied Video Boss to Mike Koenig's Main Street Marketing Machines, which was just using video to rank high and I used it for an affiliate launch for Mike Koenig's Main Street Marketing Machines. And I made enough money in 10 days to move my family back to San Diego. Nice. Damn. Damn. Hell of a story. That's a hell of a story. Please tell me that's somewhere that you're just using and telling that story, Travis. It's probably the first time I've ever told that story is right here right now. Oh, damn. Exclusive right before we finish. Just amazing. Yep. Like you guys, wow. crazy stuff. So Joe, that- you're up. That, that's what I like about this particular question is finding out that seed that motivated somebody and how that seed gets carried out and grows and grows throughout your career. It, it, I find that to me personally to be most one of the most fascinating things I like to learn about people. Couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah. like, Bob, that's just, right, an Bob. Incredible, that's just an incredible question that now I'm just going to have to just keep asking to people when I meet them, like, more so. Um, but, yeah, Joe, you're up, bud. I wanna yeah, I'll this. go. See, I came from a family, no entrepreneurial background at all. So it came later in life for me, more around high school, starting to think a little creatively and, and figure out, yeah, how to sell random stuff at school would be, you know, people like candy, all that crap, you know. I was more, I got into music around high school and started playing gigs with friends. And I think my big driver throughout it all, I had a shit ton of friends. I always was the type to blend one group, like the jocks with the, the music people, you know, the, the guys in bands. So it's kind of like the, the two would never meet. That was me being the connector there. So I think that's when I realized, oh, I got a specialty in connecting people. And it doesn't matter if they have like, they're super separate from each other. There's something they could bond over. So I got into bands around that time, started playing gigs. I was super shy as a kid. I didn't get on stage. I never put myself up there. I did the talent show, did this like we had this. It was just a joke band, but we played hardcore music just for the shit of it because we had a very kind of a hip hop high school, say, and the whole crowd was like that. Here we are. We're like, you know what? screw it. we're just gonna put everything on the table and just be crazy it's like our coming out party we're just gonna throw it all out there in the gymnasium so we had uh you know all of our groups yeah you know, our friends here the best musicians somehow i came down to the stage you know joined them on guitar i'm a horrible musician i'm not that great but it's had a great time and it was that like that release moment where we were just all rocking out senior year and the whole place lit up they loved it they had no clue what the hell we just did you know like someone was screaming on a microphone heavy, heavy metal plan. Everyone loved it. We were just, it was just fun to kind of like gather a bunch of people together and then connect with a whole school that probably would never hear this music. But that gave me kind of this inspiration of like, oh crap, if I just like connect the right people together and get in front of an audience and just show up and just be entertaining and actually kind of engage with them because we were working the crowd, totally not our style the whole way. That carried over into just playing more music throughout college. I did get a marketing degree. So Bob, to your point, I'm like the rare one that actually uh, thought I would do something in marketing. Right around that time, I think that's when I realized 
I want to start my own business. I wanted to do a craft brewery business originally. Uh, I was always brewing beer on the side throughout um, college. Dad did a lot of that. Realized that was a shit ton of work, but I was really good at presenting the ideas in school. So every time there was a presentation, I was the one to do the keynote slides to take these big ideas from the, the groups that I would be working with, put them in something that was kind of entertaining, easy to, to digest, and people got behind. So the brewery idea, all these other business ideas, teachers were lighting up, great, great. It was like the best time I ever had in school. And people were like, damn, you're good at that thing. So I took that right after college, actually, and right, right around the same time I got married, quit the day job, the career that I thought I was on, and I went into business for myself doing that. So I basically started creating these nice slides and, and turn them into video right around the same time. Travis was right in 09 when you met Andy was around the time I was starting. That was me getting in a video and I realized, Oh wait, I can distill kind of like these bigger concepts and make a narrative out of it, make them look good. So I actually put a design to it all. And now with Andy's inspiration, I was like, Holy crap, I could use like screen flow or some screen recording and put motion and make these videos for a purpose. So I started connecting with people right out of the gate at different events online first, then went to this event called Think Tank. I think it's probably what I told you, Bob, uh, that was like out in Del Mar. Met guys like Mike Koenigs there. Yeah. Um, Amish Shah. These guys who, became partners and, and clients. Who ran Think Tank? Whose program was that? That was David Klein, DK. Don't know. And that's where I met Frank. Yeah, he's, he was a chiropractor in Bird Rock, actually. So I would, I literally was just paying to get cracked all the time. It's amazing chiropractor, but I went in there because I knew that guy had connections and he yeah. kept telling me and he kept feeding me ideas. I'm like, well, shit, I got to pay a bunch of money to you that I don't have at the time, but I'm going to definitely go into debt because I could see where this is going to head. Um, and then that got me in a think tank. It started doing all my Koenigs' uh, sales videos. I think it was right after the launch you did, Travis. Uh, with Main Street. It was like, I think I did Main Street 2.0 and everything after that. But I got, you know, I started Easy Video Player, Josh Bartlett, that right. turned into his multiple. I did all of his sales videos. He was doing million dollar launches with those. I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but he gave me the opportunity to at least test my craft and Video Boss lit it up, man. Like Andy Jenkins was a big mentor. Didn't really know him well. Only met him a couple of times, but Video Boss itself, I was like, that's it. There's something here. Then it was just a lot of networking from there. But I think that was that was kind of progression. Is meant get around the right people, show up, be entertaining, be engaging, and uh, I just kept getting referrals. Man, just led me to this point. Joe, it says a lot because I heard a lot about you years before I ever met you. And so to the original mm -hmm. question on this, how'd you get started? Well, then it's like, how do you keep going? You built a really good name for yourself, like a mission. A bunch of guys talked about how you were kind of like that secret sauce. Kind of, you know, they said the guy behind the guy, like you yeah. had a reputation. You built a reputation for doing quality work and, you know, Thank confidence you. comes from evidence. You built up a lot of that. So you, you've definitely done good work in the space. And quite honestly, that's what you got to do. You want to be an expert. You want to like really like grow, like be fucking great at what you do. Yep. There's also, yeah, an, there's also an intangible for you, Joe. And I know we talked about this once with Matt too, and that I see in you is you, but you touched on it. You're a connector, but you're like, you're really likable and you're really fun. Yeah. And you bring that to all your projects. And I think 
that's a lot of why people like to work with you in addition to your skills. And I think that's a lot of the reason why Hustle and Flowchart is so successful because you and Matt just have fun doing it. Yeah, there's great yeah, content, man. but it's always just like, yeah, we're going to have fun. We're going to make some goofy noises up front. We're not going to come on. We're not the big guru sitting behind the desk telling you what to do. And I think that there's just such a contagiousness about that sense of fun that you bring to any project that just, just really makes you and you and Matt as a team really compelling and really attractive to people and the content you produce benefits from that. And, and you know, I don't know how you mm. quantify that. How, how do you become <laughs> a nice, enjoyable guy? I don't know. That's probably- I don't either, man. Normal. But that means so much coming from both y'all. And I'm sure Adel and Brad probably have their thoughts. I'm waiting for your spill of uh, good words. No, I'm just, just kidding. Just, just, oh. <laughs> no, but Bob, that made, like you guys hit it, man, because I think that's the blind spot that I've had throughout the years is that I've never quantified it. And then it- it's not until feedback from someone like yourself, Matt gave this to me the other day. I mean, I still hear that kind of feedback. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think with the non-quantifiables like that, maybe we all have our own. I feel like that's where I get in my head the most is like, it's not tangible, but it's this, I guess it's this element that, that kind of is a personality thing. I don't know, but it's a great skill set. But yeah, thanks for, for noticing that. That's sure, definitely sure. how I like to be seen. Something what makes like, it fun, man. We yeah. see you like that. Hmm? Brad, you're saying can we see that yeah definitely yeah, i'd say like one thing that i'm gonna put out that i know all of us have including the other people that aren't here today we all have this innate sense of honestly just being likable people like we just get along with people because a lot of the time what you find with um i don't know if it's true with all of you guys but i definitely know it's true for me i feel like it's true for brad and everyone else as well but like it's the aspect of um, you actually give a damn for the people that you work with and what you're doing it's like i'm in here because i want to do something good like i'm not just like taking this on for money only it has to have some deeper reason to, for you to just keep going um and that's something i've always seen about you dude like that again very similar to travis like i knew about you before i ever met you ever met you i mean the first show we did together was like i've been trying to get these guys on the show for absolutely ages <laughs> got them here and Brad and I is just like a whole nother thing. Cause like I've known Brad since 2010 or 11 and we only started speaking like 2016, Yeah, which was hilarious. Cause it was, I, I remember what it was. It was him responding to what music do you listen to when you're working? And he was like, sometimes EDM. And that's how we started speaking. <laughs> but yeah, just dude, like one thing I'd say, every, like you have, um, you have like a really likability factor, but you can also tell how much you love people when you meet them. Like there's just such an openness about you, which I think is incredible. Like that's how you build bonds. And it's like, even if you've not spoken, we've not spoken for ages because again, we're in different time zones. When we get back together, it's just like, great, pick up where we left off. Happy times, we're good yeah, to man. go. Um, and with that being said, I, I, wonder, I wonder what Brad's got in mind and also Brad's origin on this. Yeah, my origin. I mean, just like you guys, I was uh, entrepreneurial from an early early age. But it wasn't unlike Travis. It wasn't because of the stuff I wanted. I was I'm super lazy. So it, like, I my dad was trying to instill uh, my my family aren't so much entrepreneurs, but a lot of salespeople in my family. And uh, my but my dad tried to instill 
entrepreneurism early on. And he's like, well, instead of getting a job, son, you're going to mow grasses and you're going to put an ad in the newspaper and you can do all this other stuff. And you're going to learn to go make money like that. So I did, but I had really bad allergies and growing up like in St. Louis, every time I went out there, I'd break out into like a crazy uh, allergy fit and I hated it. I'd much rather watch TV and do other shit. And I had a, a buddy of mine, a couple of buddies of mine who, um, I don't know, their families didn't have as much money, which means they, their allowances weren't as big and they needed money more than I actually needed it. Um, and I was like, I was getting lawns for like 20 bucks. I was like, dude, I'll pay you 10 bucks to go do it. And it wasn't because I could then get more lawns and then go be an enterprising salesman. I just didn't want to do the work. I just wanted money for nothing. And my, but it was it money for nothing and something for free. Um, yeah. But it was, it was literally out of laziness. And, um, and I've just never been really afraid to try stuff and fail. I'm like, I'm very inquisitive and curious and I like to break the rules and I like to bend the rules and break them and just do other things differently, uh, which I think is important for an entrepreneur. Um, but I didn't go straight into it. I got a job in like sales, uh, uh, you know, out of college. Then I became a financial advisor, which is a sales job. And it's very entrepreneurial. You have to go out and, you know, sell and, get that. But I was really good at selling. I just didn't know anything about generating leads and marketing. So it was just smiling and dialing and cold calling and whatnot. Um, and I was good at it. I just, it was just a lot of work. I jumped online and back in like 2002 or three, the real estate market was heating up after the, the dot-com crash. And I literally Googled how to invest in real estate. And I found Dave Wisnant's book, uh, or course for $400 on like realestateinvesting.net or whatever it was at the time. And I bought it, I got halfway through it. And um, I overheard a woman talking about, what do you call it? Uh, talking about, yeah, my friend of the family is getting his houses foreclosed on. And I was, I was like, I perked up and I went over and talked to her. She was a friend of mine and said, tell me the story. Turned out it was this like 85 year old guy in Sweden who spoke really broken English, but he had three houses getting foreclosed on. And I had the um, up the delusional optimism to think I can buy these. So I got on the phone with him uh, and I bought three houses from him. Um, I was only halfway through the program. So I really didn't even know what I was doing, but this is the quick start in me. I was like, ah, let's do it. I never even finished that program, but I ended up buying these three houses and uh, made a lot of money on them. It was cool. I, fi I figured it out, right? I'm kind of guy who I like to jump in and then figure it out once I'm, once I'm in there which uh, I don't always do. Sometimes I'm really prone to analysis paralysis. And the key for me is really to just get in and figure it out, um, sink or swim. Um, I was still a financial advisor for a while. Uh, I actually, I thought I was going to be a real estate investor, but then I was like, I didn't know how to market because I didn't finish the book. That was probably, I, I expected them all to fall in my lap. I'm like, oh, this will be great. Like, I don't have to work. I just overhear people talking and I get deals. <laughs> but uh, so I was like, this is hard. I'm going to go back to uh, other stuff. So fast forward, I was still in financial services at Prudential Investments in um, 2007, and they decided to let us go. And uh, I mean, it was, you know, right around the whole collapse. And they said, you were, uh, you've been, um, what is it called? Laid off. And I had a little severance, but not a, not a lot. And it just so happened that this was the same month. I had just finished reading the four hour work week and uh, another book by Tim, by uh, Neil Strauss called The Game, all about pickup artists. 
mm-hmm. which I thought was entertaining, but it just, this is one of those lucky accidents. I just thought, well, this was November of 2007. I can either go out and try to use my resume and schlep around and try to get a job doing stuff that I didn't really like anyway in a global financial crisis, like in the financial industry, um, or I can figure out this online marketing stuff and uh, just try my hand at that. The I had the four-hour work week did not inspire me to make a bunch of money and live free in many retirements. It was literally the only thing I could think of that let me avoid going out and putting out my resume and asking somebody to bless me as worthy of a paycheck. So I was like, screw this. I'm going to figure this out because I don't want to go get a job. Like I, I'm just going to figure it out. So started a course on how to pick up girls with magic tricks inspired by the book by, uh, by Neil Strauss. Cause he, he had mentioned in there like, Oh, yeah, we use magic tricks to pick up girls. So it's like, I know a handful of bar tricks. And when I've done it with girls, they smiled and <laughs> laughed and sometimes they worked. And, uh, and I Googled to pick up artist magic tricks and it didn't exist online. And I looked at my buddy TV who we became partners and I was like, maybe we should create a course on this and just use it as an experiment. And I think this goes to, I think somebody mentioned it earlier, but my goal was never to build this six figure business on teaching magic tricks. It was maybe I can use this as a learning laboratory, a marketing lab to just figure this out. I've never written sales copy. This will be a chance for that. So what I looked at as wins was not even how much money I made. It's like, yeah, I set up a website. Yay, I, I got email opt-ins. Yeah, I bought Google traffic or something. So that allowed me to focus on the, um, like just the minor wins. So I never really got discouraged uh, along the way. Uh, after selling that business and trying to do other stuff, I, looking back on this, I realized that, you know, th- that ignorance is bliss sometimes, or it's the, uh, the curse of... I don't know, the curse of knowledge, knowledge, where now I know, had I known how hard that business would have been to get up and off the ground and how few people were actually searching for that in the world, I probably wouldn't have done it. And unfortunately, now I know how hard some of these businesses are. So it's like, I haven't been as quick to jump into this shit. So it's like, well, man, ignorance really is bliss. It's delusional optimism. But uh, I don't know. That's my. Dude, that's fucking awesome. Dude, that's fucking awesome. Like, especially like just doing it that that's just incredible. Yeah. And I had this, um, I had this business coaching session that uh, a coach took me through on two grams of mushrooms. And uh, one thing came up. I just thought I would bring that up because you're high and you like mushrooms. Well. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that came up for me was, uh, was that like, why am I more gun shy now than I was back then? And when I look at when I started back then, I was in I was like 32. I was, I'd been in financial services all my life, professional, probably the chances are I was, it was going to fail and I was going to have to stay in financial services. And I decided to throw reputation. I didn't even think about my reputation of what will my, if I have to go back into finance, what will my reputation look like? If he says, well, yeah, for several years, he tried to teach guys how to get laid with magic tricks. Um, That would look terrible. And then all my friends would make fun of me. I never, it's weird that I never thought about it back then. I just did it. What's that? Pumaskills.com. But I just did it. And so one of the things I realized too, was that um, this was in this coaching session is when I think about these businesses, I, I kind of think about, oh, I'm committing to this, or this is going to be a major multi-year project, et cetera. And that kind of holds me back. But when I think about it as an art project, like an artist doesn't work on one piece of art his entire life. They 
create something and they move on. And some people are gonna like it, some people aren't. And it doesn't mean they're done. It just means create this piece of art, put it out there, give it your all, your passion. Some people will resonate with, some people it won't, but you're gonna do another painting soon. So I have a hard time committing to one path in life. It just doesn't feel right to me. But when I start to reframe the things I work on as art projects, it, it gives me a little bit more, um, what, do you, what do I call it? Permission to just play. Excellent. That's Dude, I love great. that. That is amazing. <clears throat> you know, I'm in a mastermind with uh, most of the guys in this room. And this was such a great exercise because I got to know you deeper than we do know each other in the mastermind. So what a fun exercise. I actually would like to have a wrap up from everyone and then bring it home with a, with a Dr. Amarsi, which is, did you find a common thread in all of that? Because it was, there was something that stood out to me among all of you. And then quite honestly, I think the same question should be asked to the, you know, who uh, as mm -hmm. well. So I think Bob gets to ask that of Dr. Amarsi at some point, uh, <laughs> that question, but there was a thread. I heard a thread of all of you guys and it's the favorite scene from my favorite TV show right now called Ted Lasso. And there's a episode in season one called the diamond dogs. And there's this, the, just the epicenter of that season. I think it's like maybe show number seven, but it's called the diamond dogs. And there's a moment in there where Ted does a speech on you know, people have underestimated me my entire life. And then he quotes a Walt Whitman quote. And he says, but the one thing that where I've always exceeded is be curious. And he quotes a Walt Whitman quote by around be curious. And if there's something I heard from Bob and then Joe and Brad, it is literally like, don't underestimate me. Like, I am curious and my, my curiosity favorite traits and words yeah. will, will mm -hmm. literally propel me further and farther because I don't know it all. And I'm continuing to grow and learn. And I'm curious. And I heard that in all of you. And it made me think of that episode. And I just, I, I love that. Judy nailed it. Quote. Yeah. Just, very cool. Yeah. The very, quote, what very, is it? very cool. Identify uh, a, a view to identify it, Travis. That was, just a master point. That's so amazing, Travis. Like, so Bob, thanks. now it's your turn. It's your turn to ask uh, Adil that, that question. All right, Adil, you're up. Okay. Uh, what event, person, or insight started you on the career you're on and inspired you to be on the career you're on? Okay, so this is like a two-parter for me because like there's a slight shift of what I'm doing moving forward with this, uh, but it actually was all birthed from the same epicenter. Now, I think all of you know my origin story because we've discussed this, like, you know, starting off as a kid, doing all the other stuff, being inspired by my dad, Billy Mays, all the fun stuff that. Wait, you started so, off as a kid? Damn. Yeah, all right, damn, it. just start yeah, off. You, like you, you were Billy Mays? I wish in a previous life. No, uh, my dad actually used to get me to watch Billy Mays as a kid. So like, uh, that's how he seeped in. That's but cool. What was really, so like, um, how I ended up here was kind of strange because when I first started out in business, it was in network marketing. And the whole goal was to build up enough money, which I think was like 2000 bucks a month for me just to go train at the gym every day. 
like my whole goal was like, I'm doing this to make money so I can go do this other thing. So I can go further that career of being a fighter. Like I want to fight professionally. That is my goal. And then uh, I was about 18 years old and I was sparring with one of my friends and he threw me into the corner. I don't know how it happened, but my back got all jacked up. Um, and I couldn't, I was basically, I wasn't paralyzed, but I couldn't walk for two days. I was like, couldn't get out of my bed. Um, and then eventually when I started walking and it just got worse, like progressively got worse for about four or six months. Every time I went to see the doctor, they're like, nope, not going to be able to do it. Around this time I started to run out of money. Me and my upline fell out and I was like, shit, got to find something. So I ended up um, being told by a bunch of people in a seminar that I was a copywriter because of uh, writing a post. I'm just like glossing over these just to get to this certain point. So I have this part of my career. It's going well. I'm trying to be an affiliate marketer, not going well, being told to be a copywriter. Starting to go well, but I'm dyslexic and making horrible mistakes in my sales copy. People are thankfully very, very forgiving. Things are going, building up a reputation. And it gets to this point. I think I'm like 21, 22 years old. And I feel like nothing's working. I feel like I'm fighting uphill and it's never going to happen for me. Like I've, I'm still living at home. I didn't go to college, dropped out of high school, trying to do my best. Everyone's talking shit about me. I'm like, I know I can make this work. <clears throat> I emailed Joe Sugarman of all people wow. and asked him, Joe, kind of a weird question to ask you, but when you had moments when you wanted to give up, what kept you going? Because I'm in that moment right now. I'm 22. I'm thinking of throwing the towel and I don't know what to do. He asked me back, could you explain a little bit more as Joe does? I told him what was going on because it was a feeling of envy. I was like, I'm not doing as well as I could be because those feelings do come up from time to time. And uh, I'll never forget what Joe said to me. He said, um, whatever you do, keep doing it. Because I failed eight out of 10 times when I started my businesses. I just always failed. And now I'm at the other end where I do, out of every 10 businesses, eight of them work. Eight of the campaigns work. Just keep going. He goes, use every failure as a lesson and just get better. And again, that was it. Again, going back to what Travis said, it was that curiosity. And over the years, I've actually really redefined what it was that inspires me to keep going. Because Brad knows this, like the amount of times I've sat down to write copy and gone, I absolutely hate doing this. Can someone like just interview me for 10 minutes and I'll get it out of me. You're the only one that's ever happened to, by the way. <laughs> Every one of us is like, why? Oh, the bane of our existences. But it's it's what happens when it gets to the other side. It was this um, this ideation of really understanding. It was a question that was asked by a friend of mine saying, what drives me? What is the one thing that I'm so curious about that it drives me insane? And it came all back to this idea of, I am absolutely obsessed with how people think and how they are. Like I'm obsessed by, by how people think, why words mean the certain way they do. I mean, that alone, looking back at it, prompted me to spend $50,000 in the last nine years, just put people on an MRI machine so I can read their brain as I'm reading copy to them to see what their response rates were. Um, like what words never to use, for instance. And that kind of just kept going. And that curiosity has always just kept me going. I mean, there are times where I'm wondering, will I be able to keep going and make it? But then I end up listening to shows and hanging out with you guys. And hey, it's right back into the room. You, you know, you can go, you can keep going. And again, this goes back to something that you all said very earlier, much earlier on in the show. I want to make sure that no one missed it in case, you know, they're still listening or we use this clip later on. Who you surround yourself, you are always going to be that person. So that 
if you're surrounding yourself with five people who are always struggling and negative, you're going to be that. If you're going to be around five awesome people, you're going to become awesome. It's essentially just surrounding yourself with those things. So I just wanted to like highlight that because you guys did say that earlier and I don't want to gloss over it. Yeah, cool. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, I think I agree with everything you said, but there's something it touched on what, what Travis talked about was it's okay not to know the how. Yeah. You know, you know what your goal is. And, and when you really got backed into a corner and had no answers, that's where a lot of people give, give up. And you didn't. I mean, you did something really audacious. You called Joe Sugarman, right? How many people would ever do that? And um, it's just, it, it's that little extra that people have to say, hey, I'm up against it. I don't know what to do next. Maybe I'll test something. Maybe I'll call someone. Maybe I'll model somebody who's done it before, but you find something within you that lets you reach out to go beyond your own skills. And, and it either involves a mentor who you talk with or a mentor who you learn from in a program like, uh, like Andy Jenkins, Video Boss or whatever, but you go, you, you have the humility to go outside yourself and say, Hey, I'm pretty good at what I do, but I'm not good enough and it's holding me back. What do I need? And you go find what you need. And, and that, I think that circles back to a question I asked before is I'm always wondering why a group of 20 people go through a workshop I have and four are super successful three more are somewhat successful, but the remainder either flop or don't do anything. And more, they don't do anything. And it's because of that little fire that you had or the little glimmer Travis talks about where you go beyond yourself, on your skills to get the extra support or training or whatever it is you need. And I think it, I think it takes humility to do that. I want to offer something up there too, that a lot of us, like, I think one of the reasons I just kind of came to me that um, people don't complete it. We're too good at selling it. We're marketers. We understand how to sell biz op. We understand how to tap into emotions. These aren't people taking Udemy classes to learn a new skill. They want a whole new life. They want, it's this whole idea of everybody wants to be different. Nobody wants to change. Uh, if we actually sold, and this is not, this doesn't mean we're selling anything unethical, but if we actually sold what they're getting, um, we probably would have a lot less sales because everything we do takes a good amount of work. But the way we're selling it, we're trying to get like number one goal is to get conversions. It's not to get customer success because if it was, we would have a lot less customers. We would only have those people who are likely going to do it. So I think that's, I think it's, we're partially to blame. We're too good at selling this stuff. Well, I disagree. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> and, and so here, Brad, is why you're wrong. <laughs> no, you can't, again, you can't tell 
when you sell a course, you you could just you could have one typewritten page that's just factual bullets, and you'd enroll people. And I and I'm convinced, and this is why I'm by saying I'm convinced it means you're wrong, Brad. Um, I'm convinced that you'd still have the same success rate because regardless of how you sell it, if you deliver a program that achieves everything you sold, then why is it that only a certain percentage fail? Why do I buy a gym membership that a lot of people do really well with I go two days and don't keep going after that. I think the the easiest answer is the look at the bell curve of successful people in the entire country or world, right? It's actually the people who are, you know, successful at anything is a very, very small percentage of people. A lot of people will start something, do it halfway, they'll settle, they'll stop. And it's why this concept of the 1% actually exists, right? And then it's, a, it's it, it, I think it's a fractal, law of human nature that um, we're going to get some people who are going to take the action. Some people aren't. Same thing as college, right? Actually, so college might even to a degree, it mutes what I was saying because college, college is marketed well. It's actually marketed probably without being persuasive language. It's if you don't do this, you will be, you know, digging ditches your whole life, right? Like that's ostracized. ostracized that, right? So maybe that is the most effective form of marketing. But a lot of people have college degrees. And if you look at the degree of success, it falls right into that bell curve. So I just think it's a law of nature. I've always thought that, you know, the right mindset to take with this is with, especially if you're creating courses, is that the people who aren't going to take the course or who aren't going to complete the course and who aren't going to get actions with it are actually funding your ability to create it and deliver it for the few who will right? It's almost like collateral damage. Not that that's acceptable and not that we should let that happen, but it's it's a law of nature. Some people aren't going to do it. Some people are, but if only 5% of the people who took it, bought our, who got success, bought our course, we wouldn't be in business. Uh, will, you do, will you do something kind of stupid with me right now? Because you are the, uh, the Gandalf of the five pack. Who, who are you talking to? <clears throat> the Gandalf of the five pack. And who's the Gandalf? The wisest of the three, of the five of us. Uh, the old wise, the Let old wise wizard. Who did you ask the question of? I didn't catch that. You, Bob. I said, because you are the Gandalf of okay. the five pack. Will you, dump some, will you do something <laughs> kind of silly with me? No, I'm one short of a six pack, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, so what you guys are saying, I, I, I like it all. First of all, I don't think you can create desire, but I do believe you can channel it. And anyone who's ever been called to step up, and quite honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you want to step up your copywriting, your business, your life. Anyone who has ever been called to step up has fucking doubted themselves. Everyone, you look at any successful person and I guarantee at some point, someplace they doubted they could do it, but they took that first step. Now, I think this is the actual problem and I hope I piss a lot of people off with this. In the Western world, men are a bunch of fucking pussies. And I truly believe it's because we have lost the ability to initiate boys to become men. 
we don't do that anymore. There's some cultures that still do where they will literally take a boy through trials to become a man. And I'm going to just say this is around masculine energy. If you're in business and you're doing business, it's because you have masculine energy. You can do that as a very feminine person, but there's a masculine energy that is not initiated to not need permission. And I think a lot of people don't get started because they were never anointed permission. They either never grabbed it or they were never given it. And so I think uh, the Gandalf of the five pack could literally, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, my, from my father to you, the, the man of this call is going to give you permission. Like you have permission to step up. You have permission to go for it. You have permission to fail ridiculously in front of your entire social professional circle and get up and do it again. And then get up and do it again and turn the flywheel over and over and over until it gets momentum. You can, you can either take permission or you can give permission. It doesn't matter. You just have to step up because we've all been scared as shit to do this. We've all been scared as shit to take the first step, to do the right thing and to fail in front of our family, to fail in front of your wife, your partner, your husband, your friends. It sucks, but it's determination over time. It's the Grand Canyon effect, right? You don't have to be the first person to have the million dollar launch. You don't have to be the first person to run the four minute mile. It's called the, like the, the John Landy principle. Like who's John Landy? No one knows who John Landy is, but he ran the second four minute mile. An amazing thing, an absolutely amazing thing to be the second person to run the four minute mile. What an accomplishment to inspire that many more people to run a four minute mile. No one knows who John Landy is but everyone knows who the other guy is, Roger Bannister, like just get permission, see that someone else has done it before you and then go for it. So Bob, all I'm asking is would you grant us boys and everyone listening on the call permission to step up? Well, I, I wish I had that power, but uh, you know, it's funny because I think the one category you left out, you said was somebody gave them permission or somebody encouraged them there's also a lot of cases of people who were told they were crap, who were told they'd never succeed, who were told they were failures, who were beaten, who were uh, abused, who went, went uh, had no family, yet they rose to great success and helped a lot of other people. So, and, and in that case, they fought against it. So I, I think. Well, Bob, I said you can either I, grab it, I, you can either give it or you can grab it. And like, yeah, like what yeah, you're speaking yeah, to is you. I agree you with grab you. it. I do think our society right now, this is a really different issue, but we're really gravitating towards a very dangerous model of um, equality versus equal opportunity make it it's actually making everyone mediocre instead of giving everybody the ability to excel and that that touches into what you i mean what's going on in the schools in, in the u.s with the way they teach boys now uh 
American schools, I, I know this from having run an education company, are very anti-boy, you know, it, it, and they've taken all the playground equipment out of schools. And that kind of goes to your point. But I also think, I think there's people who have been given permission who totally don't take advantage of it and don't go forward. I think those are the, there are some who seized it and those who found it through an inspirational story of anyone else. So I think it's hard to grant that permission. I think each of us has to find whatever model works best for us. You know, what, what is it that's going to give you that glimmer, that's going to give you that little bit of fire you need to just take the first step? And I, and I think permission can be a, a, a little illusional because I just want people to take that first step and discover that it wasn't as scary as they thought. And maybe it worked great, maybe it was a flop, maybe a little bit of it worked, but whatever happened, there was a lesson in it. And that lesson is encouragement to take the next step and the next step. And I wish I had an answer. I wish I could grant people permission to take the next step. And I think maybe the best way to do it is just say, all you have to do is take one step. There's nothing more that's required than that. And maybe that'll make it less scary for people to actually go out and give it a try. Yeah, Bob, uh, as you're talking about that, I, because yeah, I think we all have the ability. We, I know we all have the ability to take that next step. And usually it's a, that feeling inside of you, at least for me, it's that kind of like, gnawing feeling like oh there's something that i really want to do but there is this mental blockage like oh i'm not going to reach out to joe sugarman of all people why the hell who, why am i worthy of doing that it's like guess what he's a human just like you are yeah. uh, i think and uh you know you, you have the ability to i feel like if you if you tap into how you feel and if you really start to think back on like what am I doing? What do I want out of this thing? Like, you're going to realize some common things. You're like, shit, I'm just like, I'm being a boy here. Like Travis, your, your point is like completely spot on with male, uh, or sorry, with boy to, to man, but also female energy and male energy. Yeah. Masculine energy, because it is masculine energy business primarily, but that, uh, you know, more feminine energy, uh, I feel like that blend, you know, like that, if you're more over there, which I think like, cause I've, been nerding out on this stuff i think i line more on that part where more of my motivation is like you know the masculine that's like the reaching out the going for the pushing and we all have the feeling and i think we just got to realize where we stand on that spectrum like where do we naturally kind of feel as our bodies you know energetically however you connect to this dang statement you know and then just figure out what is that thing that's non at you and just do the damn thing and you do have permission. I guess I'll say it. <laughs> like everyone has permission. Just send the damn email, pick up the call, you know, the phone. No one's going to rake you over the coals for doing so. Even if you reach out like an idiot, you know, or don't say the right words. That's why AI tools and all this stuff are helping you now. And you can sound good and on that cold reach out or whatever. But yeah, and, man. I, I mean, think, think about what Adel did 
think of how the trajectory of your life changed by yeah. making that one call by just saying, maybe the guy's going to tell me you're an idiot. Where did you get my number? Don't ever call me again. Oh yeah. He, it was an email. It was, it was a Facebook message as well. I think it was. Uh, yeah. You would have lost nothing. Yeah. You actually would have been encouraged to move forward going, well, damn it. I did that. And yeah, it didn't work out, but it wasn't all that hard to do it. Yeah, Here's the other thing. When well, it Bob's comes got a great that. point. Like Bob, like just what you said, I'm just going to plus it. The most successful person. I think a lot of us on this call know is also one of the most accessible and has been there for me over and over when I've needed him in some tough times and just advice even outside of that. Like you'll find the most successful people are often the most generous with their time and knowledge. Well, also uh, one of the things I think a lot of us get caught up in is we start thinking that these, what I'll call niche celebrities are actual celebrities. They're freaking not. Um, good example. Uh, one of the most well-known people in marketing, Frank Kern. He's a nobody in the in the world. Like nobody knows him, but a very tiny microscopic group of people. Like Joe Sugarman, he's a celebrity to marketers and stuff like that. He's he's a nobody in the in the entire world. So a lot of us start thinking that oh, this person's on this super high pedestal, and they're really not. I mean, it's not like we're trying to you know contact Brad Pitt or somebody who's inundated with this stuff. So. Um, that's one of the things that's allowed me to just not feel the least bit bad about reaching out to really high-end people. And it's like, <laughs> there not many people are actually reaching out to them like we think. Yeah. Well, why, why not Brad Pitt? He's a freaking human too. Yeah. He has a little bit more noise going after him, but like, would you be stopped by if you felt like Brad Pitt was like the linchpin to the next move in your life or whatever? Like you'd find a way to, Obviously, it's probably unlikely, but come on, you're not going to stop yourself, you know? Well, let's talk about the, the, the genesis of this call, to be honest. Uh, there was an event that we were holding. Uh, Bob came to that event and Bob said, huh, I don't think I ever want to come back to this event again. And he never has. Uh, but at that event, he says, hey, guys, we should start a mastermind and we should meet every other month and I'll take care of sending out the emails and all of that. And, I'll, you know, we know each other even deeper and better because Bob said, hey, like, I want to be around other semi-smart people uh, and you know, meet adult. regularly and support each other and have people to share my bird photos with. And so like, what would it take for you? Adil said this earlier, which is like, hey, you are the sum of the five people you hang out with the most. So what if you create and curate that group? of people that you want to be around, much like Bob Serling did with many of us on this call. And it, it's like, just thinking about from that, this all kind of came about because Brad and I spoke, then Joe and I spoke, and then it was Bob and then Travis and then Roland. And it just became like this whole amalgamation of getting to know each other. Um, and kind of like to really drive this point home, something that um, you had mentioned earlier that really like there's two things I'm going to tell you guys after the call, just off air that's like private, but it's the, the thing that we're seeing from going from boy to man, especially because I'm one of the younger ones here that's essentially kind of come through that last kind of linchpin of essentially what is known as allowed to be a boy at the time of being a boy. Um, and by the way, when people, nah, actually, I don't give a fuck about explaining myself. I never do. Um, I really don't. Uh, but anyway, as far as it goes with, guys and becoming what they are now as you said it it's like this internal permission that we need to have in order to go get it 
And very much like you said, Bob, it's like getting people to believe they can take that first, first step. But maybe if we combine the belief change of taking the first step with, hey, I'm giving you permission to take the first step, that revolutionizes a whole new change of what it is. And to further Brad's point, we're literally no one and everyone is really chill. Like genuinely, if someone, if you reach out to someone, they're an asshole to you, believe it or not, they would have been a dick to you anyway. There's really like, all of us are fairly friendly. Like some of us work like crazy. I was like our good friend, Adam Lyons. Dude never sleeps. Always working, same with Roland. Most successful people you can find. Literally, you can message them and you'll probably get a response back from them. Um, but what I'm getting at here is don't let your success as you keep going, change who you are, keep being likable, keep being yourself. And my last question I want to ask all of you just very quickly, what is it that you guys actually no? Where would everyone find you guys? Cause I know you all have podcasts of your own. You all have your own shows. I think Travis, have you started your show as well? Well, no, I shut it down. Okay, that's just like some stuff we got to talk about later. But fine, Travis, send people somewhere else where they can find you because your shit is amazing. Everyone else, guys, just do as you please. And I'd love for everyone to reach out to you guys and get to know you guys, even like a fraction as much as I know you. And that you can alone... find me at certifiedfuckingexpert.com. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually going to be the sponsor link for your show, I by think, the way. I think it was that. I want you to I want you to get the special extension for that, Brad, certified fucking expert dot photography. Dot <laughs> <laughs> triple X. Gifted to Bob. Bob log. <laughs> so I simple way to find me. My website is licensinglab.com. It's very simple, ugly, one page website where you can opt in and get my free ebook that shows i think 11 different ways to use licensing in your business uh, to turn assets you already have into a lot more profit or to broker deals for companies to turn their assets into profit and so that's the best way to find me awesome I'll step up. I got the Hustle and Flowchart podcast. I'd say that's the best way to find me. So hustleandflowchart.com. And uh, we have Podhacker now. That's our flagship course around podcasting and digital marketing kind of blended bunch of, uh, it's basically a business in the box templates and uh, all the resources you need to do that and growth hack along the way. So that's our and jam. Great. Podhacker. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn straight. You can find, I help health and wellness practitioners who want to go from the one-to-one to one-to-many one one so they can heal at scale. So you can find me at www.healatscale.com uh, and everything's over there. Cool. All right, guys, please and check I it out. At, uh, you can find my podcast, Bacon Wrapped Business, or just shoot me an email, brad at bradcostanzo.com. And certifiedfucking.com is still going. It's going to redirect, by the way. I hope. I just hope it really <laughs> yeah. does. Just see what. Maybe you just redirect to your own site, like your. Might as well <laughs> to just do it to my site. Thanks, guys. Speaking of Adam, speaking of Adam Lyons, we're gonna gonna send him that one. Oh, I think he would love that. All right, guys. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And I hope you have enjoyed this journey as much as I have. We have one last episode, which is next week, which is just on uh, New Year's Eve. It's with Scott Dickers, founder of The Onion uh, and co-founder of The Onion as well. So we got him in right at the end. And finally, New Year's Eve is my final send-off show. 
please be there. Have a listen. And as always, love you guys. Thank you all for being here. And I appreciate you greatly. Take care.